show. This week on the show, I have Nick Braun. Nick Braun's a good friend of mine, but he's also the more illustrious title of founder of Words and Pixels, the startup PR specialist. Now, Nick, you know, take yourself way back and imagine that we were on a first date and none of this horrible experience we have where you've beaten me at golf has happened in our lives. Tell me about yourself. So where are you from and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Well, look, great to be on, Tom. Um, And I'm very glad that you've brought up golf because I definitely was going to my first answer. So um, I'm Nick. I'm from Exeter in sunny Devon. Um, I first thought about marketing and PR, very, very basic at, at university. I went to Southampton and my sort of backstory is I was always a bit of a brand whore. Like growing up, I would always want an Abercrombie t-shirt because I wanted the logo. I wanted a Nike t-shirt because I wanted the tick. I, I was drawn to brands and I had no idea why. And then when I got to uni, I started thinking about it. I was wearing these brands. And as part of my dissertation, I created my own brand. And what was it? What was it called? What was the brand? Like not like Nick Braun Inc. Like nothing. Nick Braun Inc. NBI. I mean, it did get a first, so I was quite proud. Oh well, there you go. Well, I drop that in. Non humble brag, just brag. The bit that I found most interesting was trying to look at how people perceive a brand and why. You know, take an example. You know, Nike versus Umbro. I don't think anyone out there would sit, would not say that. Nike is more of a premium brand. Why? What's the difference? It's the heritage, the individuals associated with it, the media they've done, the advertising, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the bit that really captured my imagination. And that's all where I went. So big passion was sport, played football, rugby, tennis, cricket, whatever. And so I thought I would start by doing sport and marketing. So I went to um, a role where I was able to work with some cool forcing brands and look at developing their narrative. And that was the start of PR, the point where I got really passionate about the, the practice of working with a company, taking their messaging, taking what's amazing about them and communicating that. And just that act, which is what I still do now, you know, 12, 13 years later, PR is not rocket science. I know that a lot of your listeners will be startup founders or they're planning to do something soon. And PR is, oh, well, how did you get PR? How did you get on Wired or BBC or whatever? There were some amazing PRs out there, some amazing journalists. But PR as a practice is not rocket science. It's understanding a story and the narrative and how do you communicate that to the right audience. So that thing that I thought of right back in my first uni days is exactly what I'm still doing now as founder of a a startup ourselves. We only launched just over a year ago now. So whilst we specialize in working with the innovative, disruptive companies that are growing and scaling, we too are going through the exact same problems, which actually I think helps us a lot because we can have a very honest, open, refreshing conversation with people who are at the same or similar journey as us. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. Take a step before that. So no one starts a company unless they, well, unless you're unlike me and you've got literally no experience in the space at all and you just give it a go. But like generally, if someone's got some experience in the space and they see a problem that they think they can have. Well, I always say that every company starts with one or two sentences. Wouldn't it be cool if, or wouldn't it be better if? Yeah, so yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool if I could play games against my mates for money, right? Okay, that's why we exist. Wouldn't it be better if previous company that I worked for, Contexa, representing with a mug right here, um, 
wouldn't it be better if we could connect together multiple data sets to identify criminal activity? What was it that you, what's, what was the statement that started your journey? Because, you know, we knew each other back when you were over at um, your previous company and look, an exceptional company that I loved, I had a really great success with and really admired them. But there's something about it that you thought, I can do this better. What was it that you thought that you could serve us better that made you take that leap to go and do it on your own? Honestly, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever been through so far. And okay. you can see behind me now that I'm in what is going to be uh, my new baby's room because I've got an 11-week-old baby called Ollie. So whilst he is the best thing I've ever done, whilst almost being one of the most difficult and challenging, especially last night when he wouldn't sleep, professionally, I think deciding to leave an agency that I worked at for the best part of a decade and I've got many of my good friends, people who came to my wedding, was very, very difficult and took a good few years to actually get to that point. It wasn't right. I'm going to try this right now. It took a long time. I think the areas, the areas that I really thought about that I had to be a bit selfish is where's my passion? Where's the thing that I really want to do? Where do I think that I'm exceptional at what I do? And the bit that I get most excited about that genuinely gets me out of bed in the morning, which sounds really cliche saying it out loud on a podcast, but it's true is working with companies and founders and entrepreneurs who have come up with something that they think is incredible. And the amount of platforms I've had the pleasure of working with where one person at one point in time, whether they're out for a run or in the shower or whatever, came up with something that they thought, you know what, I'm going to launch something that is better, is quicker, is smarter, is faster, you know, helps people in a new and different way. And there were so many of those and they need a bit of help and they need to connect with founders or investors or customers or partners or potential clients or whatever. And it was that practice of working with those companies, not the big corporates, not the Apple and Microsoft. And people know about those guys all the time. It's those that are doing something innovative and disruptive and they want to help. And that's where, when in my sort of uh, previous agency, I started to carve out a niche and, and my team did a lot of this. And it was really the next step for that was me to, to do it on my own, to utilize my own relationships, my experience, to do that for companies that I was really passionate about. But also, I think from a personal level, I wanted to challenge myself. And the next step of that for me was to try and go and do it on my own with you know very little support into part from sort of family and friends and some professional connections. And I think that that's where you know we've had an incredible year growing. And one of the reasons is because of something that I was actually quite surprised about. I thought that when you launched on your own agency, you were isolated. You're like, no one wants to talk to you. No one wants to help you. You just got to go and do it yourself. And it was one of the things that both sort of scared and excited me. But it's been amazing since we launched the amount of people who would almost come out of the woodwork and say, congrats. Great to see what you're doing. How can I help? Where can I support? And I think that is one thing that I've been most pleased and delighted about to be involved with this sort of community and it's like what you guys have got here with the podcast people who come back time and time again who want to be involved who are going through the same problems and challenges how do we help each other so i feel that now with words and pixels not only are we doing an excellent job at what we do we're also involved in different conversations that i wasn't person to before because i wasn't in their shoes, whereas now i am that's a really interesting thing i want to dig in something a little bit there now there's a um Barriers to entry is always something that resists people from starting companies. And you quite interestingly talk about the PR one. There'll be people listening to this who 
It's a bit of a myth, I think. A lot of people, well, okay, myth's the wrong word. A lot of people look at and think about starting a company and they always think, do you know what? I need to start a product company. So I might be like, I might need to make a new brand of beer or I might make a new you know, sneaker or I might make, sorry, how American of me. I've been speaking to American companies and I'm sorry to our listeners for doing that. Please, please forgive me. Don't hate me in the comments. Or a trainer brand. And I am, um, or, or the other one, you, so you think you want to do that. Alternatively, like I need to make a tech company. And was like, so, you know, I run a tech business, previously a tech business, all the, lots of the sexy unicorns are all tech businesses. And that's not true. You don't have to go into, you don't have to become a tech business. You don't have to become a, a physical product business. There are, you can start a company, which is a service business. And arguably the barrier to entry is different because my argument here was that I worked with you previously when uh, you were at uh, your previous company and I bought into you as an individual. So when you move, I'm like, I want to work with Nick. Yeah, like, you know, that, that behemoth that people might be intimidated by, whether it's a you know, big four accountancy or whether it's some massive PR firm or some massive agent, it doesn't matter. Like, it's you that I'm buying into, it's the individuals that make up that business. And so did you, so when you stepped out, did you realize it was obviously when you're in there, you feel like you have those shackles, but when you left, did you realize that actually, I probably could have left earlier. Like I probably didn't need, I didn't need that intimidation or that fear that I couldn't do it on my own. I think that the, the fear for me was the unknown. You know, right. the, I, I didn't know what was out there and look at the last year no one knows what's going to happen in the future I, I think that it was something I thought about for a while but I'm absolutely delighted that I took the time not to rush into it had I first had I had taken the plunge and launched something when I first considered it I it wouldn't have worked because there were so many things that I didn't know that I still needed to learn and, and I you know, I owe everything to the individuals that I learned from my previous agency. And, um, you know, I'm, one of the things that I'm very, very proud of is that I still speak to a lot of them as friends and, and as, as hopefully potential colleagues in the future um, and whether we can potentially even work together on, on some things. And I think that it doesn't have to be knee jerk. It doesn't have to be something that other people aren't going to like. My balance was I want to do something that's not only right for me, but for the people who have supported me and backed me to get to this point now. And that's why it was such a difficult conversation. It was like I wrote, I spoke about it when I was doing it openly that it was like breaking up with someone who was the best person you've ever been with. Like you're like, well, why? Why am I doing it? And why would you? Why would you do that? Exactly. <laughs> well, it came back to the fact that I I thought that I wanted to try something else and the only way that I would ever do that was to put myself out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. but I needed to believe that I had enough experience enough insight enough knowledge enough contacts enough everything to get there and so yes it was still a leap when I did it but I felt ready for it and I think that you know this this past year has been amazing weird daunting difficult strange everything because I've launched a brand new company. We've grown incredibly quickly to the point now we've now got 10 members of staff in, in just over a year. We're working with some phenomenal brands. One of the things we're incredibly proud of was uh, a campaign with, with Red Bull and the Rubik's Cube World Cup, where we had the top trending story on the BBC globally. <laughs> through 
Yes. That, that the team came up with. And that's, you know, something that we will all remember and all know we'll be a part of and want to try and replicate that with other campaigns and other ideas. So I think there was always going to be some fear. But going back to the point at the start, that PR isn't rocket science. Like, my job hasn't changed. The, the difference now is that I'm in a slightly different role and I'm, you know, I'm lucky to be supported by nine other brilliant people. But again, that's a different part of the job. That's not PR. You know, hiring people is not part of PR. It's something that I was fortunate enough to have experience doing before, so I knew what I wanted. But one of the challenges, and you'll know this yourself, is that you can't do everything. So as we got to this point where we've grown and we're doing some great work with some amazing companies, it's making sure that everything is aligned and we're being very open and honest and transparent about how we work and how we utilize different people, different resources, different things. So Look, there's, there's, there was a bunch of reasons why I easily could have stayed, but ultimately the draw for me was to go and do something on my own, which I always knew I wanted to have a go. I wanted to give it a shot. So that's really interesting. So something I want to touch on a little bit there is how did you, so if you bring in, um, you bring in talent and talent is the key to success in this game, right? Um, you know, great people make, the best people make the best companies. Science fact. Um, how did you sell the dream to get such an amazing team? What did you, how did you, this is a great tip for any founder, anything, we all go through the struggle is getting the best talent. So how did you sell the dream? How did you convince the best people who probably had jobs and had careers and successful businesses, how did you get them to come and work for just, you know, Nick Braun? Just on my own, mate. Yeah. How did you do it? I think that ultimately there's no, there's no one answer for everyone because everyone pulls on different things, right? So we've got a number of people and what gets them out of bed each day is not necessarily going to be the same as me or the same as their, as their new colleagues. The bit that was important for me when we were hiring was if possible, to, to know something about them. So our client director uh, came through an introduction from a mutual acquaintance, someone I trust um, implicitly, and uh, a lady called Amy, who we work with day in, day out, and she's incredible at what she does. And she said, hey, you need to chat to Ollie. Um, Ollie is amazing at what he does, and he, he'd be worth you know, a bit of your time. We had a chat, and when I was speaking with, with Ollie and, uh, you know, very, very early on, and he's one of the big reasons we've, we've succeeded and grown, as are all of the other team. It was saying, here's the idea that we want to work with the companies we want to work with. We are a small, independent, boutique tech consultancy. We are not reliant on having to hit stupid targets. We are not reliant on timesheets and some of the other processes that are a bit annoying for PRs that people have to go through. We've got the chance to create the job, the agency that we want. And we're only 10 people, but every single person who's joined us, I've had the exact same conversation with, and they can hopefully see and map out how they are going to grow. I think that if you look at agencies that have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, you can be seen as an individual as part of a huge a huge wheel and, and there are some great benefits with that you might get paid a little bit more you might get a few more perks and things like that but ultimately the conversation we've had is this is brand new i don't know as the founder what this is going to look like in two three four five years but 
we're doing things that people like and love and want to work with us on. What do you want to work on? What's your career going to be in the next few years? And how do we try and blend the two? And that's the thing that I've always been very, very passionate about, that everyone has got things that are drivers from them. I, I love sport. You know, it's on constantly. I go to the gym, whatever. So there are things that I'm interested in. So we've got a couple of sport tech clients that personally I think are amazing. But then we've got other other people who might be interested in anything else where you can put the word tech after it. And they want to do that. So if you can give people the opportunity to develop their career by doing what they do, but get some support from people who've got you know, different experience, but also say to them, hey, we will create the opportunity for you to do exactly what you want to do. Why would you not give it a go? So I think the biggest part for me last year was convincing people that this isn't a fly by night thing, that you know, we're X many months old. This isn't, you know, you don't need to worry about paying your mortgage. You don't need to worry about, uh, you know, having that nice holiday you want. You know, this is a proper quality business. We're just a few months in, but we've already got a good track record. And it's not amazing, just similar to some of the conversations we've had with clients. You know, some of, their, some of the clients have said, you know, you're only X months old. You know, what, how are you going to grow? How are you going to develop? How are you going to make sure that we're looked after? And for, one of my biggest jobs has been making sure that people understand the vision, the plan, and being very honest and truthful about what that looks like and where they fit into it. For example, one of the challenges, and, go, and you and I have discussed this at length, one of the challenges with services business is that you know, it's not infinitely scalable. You know, if you develop an app, you can get one person to download it or a million, it's pretty much going to cost you the same thing. For us, for us to service one client or a million, you need the people to do that. And, and there's always the potential or maybe the desire to bring on as many clients as you want because then you get paid more and you can grow and whatever. Now, I've seen through other friends and where that, that doesn't work. Companies that have made people redundant or they've um, overburdened themselves on one or two clients. So we've said that we're not going to be overburdened and have one or two huge, huge clients that dominate too much time of anyone. But also with everyone in the team, they're only going to work on a finite amount of clients because there's only so much bandwidth that one has in a day. And so I, that was part of the sale. Like you're not going to be working on 55 clients because you cannot do your best work, but you can if you work on four or five or six. So that's part of it. And I the other bit of it is that we are masters of our own destiny in so much that PR, again, PR, bear in mind what we do has got quite a bad rep. And that is from some bad practice where they speak to journalists or how some firms treat their staff. I fortunately were an agency that prided themselves on the integrity of, of what their offering was and how they looked after their staff. And they were incredible at that. So I took a lot of that and have brought that to words and pixels. And I think you don't have to work later than 530. You don't have to be working on the weekends unless there's an absolute urgent client need. And then it's a special circumstance. And I think the pandemic has made people realize that actually that work-life balance is so much more important and, you, and we launched I suppose almost at the right time so that we had all these things newly in place so that when the pandemic hit the flexible working the realistic hours the um, tech to actually make sure you could collaborate when you're not together we already had because that was how we launched so I think we were fortunate to launch at a time when those things were needed and we were ahead of many, many more established competitors because that was just where we are in our very, very early stage. 
Yeah, nice. I get that. That makes sense to me. That's really interesting. I think some good some good selling points there. I think it just comes down to I think the key message there that as I'm sitting it down in a way that my small brain can understand is that it's a um you just I think you just have to pull on those strings when you hire people. You have to look and say, like, what's their motivation? What are they trying to achieve? And how can I help them achieve those dreams through my business? In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favorite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay, so moving on a little bit here to, um, to PR in general, right? Okay, so look. Something that is often overlooked by startups that, oh God, that's an expense that I hadn't probably considered. You know, I'm going to spend my money on, you know, PPC or something like that. Uh, tell me, like, what, just if you, know, you meet a startup for the first time, they say, like, I've got no idea what PR is for a start. Um, tell me about what is PR. And second of all, tell me, like, what is the core benefit to a startup? Someone, and when I say startup, I don't mean... I saw the other day that Sifted released a list of the uh, the yeah ones to watch in Europe, and it had Deliveroo and people like on there. I was like, "Are you shitting me? That's not a startup. That's a business now, right?" Do you know what I mean it's like that's pretty big? Um, so tell me, like, yeah, for someone who's in their first year, two years, three years, they might be pre-seed, seed, or just early Series A. And what's the value in PR? And first of all, as I said, what is PR, and what's the value there? The PR is the practice of taking things about a company or a person and communicating that through the press simple as that and what a pr agency a pr consultant a freelancer an internal pr person does is take that information and frame that in a way that is digestible that is interesting to the press and i think that pr is often overlooked and we see a lot because we're working with predominantly startups it's given to um, someone maybe without, um, so prior to bringing an agency, it's given to someone who maybe has done a bit of marketing before and they think that that person is going to have PR experience. Actually, PR is part of the marketing mix, but it's a very distinct and specialist skill because a lot of the areas of marketing broader would be creating content that is persuasive, that is advertorial, that is promotional, and you maybe go and pay money to go and get it positioned somewhere. PR is the antithesis of all of that. Like you can't pay to get editorial, or you can, but then it's not editorial, it's advertorial. And it can't be promotional. It can't be like X company is the most amazing thing ever, says its boss. No, because no one's going to read that. And no one wants to read that this company has launched, they raised some money, and now they're a huge success. The end. You want to hear about the troubles, the strife, all of the challenges that they've dealt with on a day-by-day basis. So how PR can work for startups is the same way that it can work for any company. It's shouting about what they are good at, what they are great at, what they are doing better than anyone else, and making sure that that message is seen by those that would actually care. And I think it's quite difficult to think about PR if you've never done it. But ultimately, you need to take something, go to a journalist who have got one of the hardest jobs in the entire world, because they get approached by thousands upon thousands upon thousands Mm -hmm. of PRs 
saying, write about me, write about me. They've got, they do an incredible job. They've got, to, you've got to go to a journalist who hopefully you have a relationship with or who knows who you are, or very, very importantly, for anyone doing it themselves, you spend time to actually look at what they write about, their style, what they're keen on, what they're not keen on, and go to something that you say, hey, I think that you would be interested in this story. I think your readers would be interested in this story because of these reasons. And it's got to both be beneficial to the client, but also of impact to the journalist and the outlet. Otherwise, it's never going to work. So it's a very careful balancing act. On one part, we are in the middle because the journalist wants to get information from the company. The company wants to get information to the journalist. We are the people who can provide the introductions, the insight, the knowledge to make sure that actually happens. Because what we see a lot of, and people come to us and say, oh, I've got a press release. I've sent it out to 55 journalists and no one's come back to me. It's like, well, yeah, probably not, because it probably doesn't make any sense to them. And you're selling something that they don't want to hear. So it's that relationship. And where it can be of big value to startups is that ultimately as a startup, you're looking to build credibility. Rather than just saying, my startup is amazing, you want someone else to say, hey, check these guys out. It's that external validation. You know, you know, if a friend said, go and check out this brand, you know, you'll really like their jumper, you'll go and do it. But you, even if, but if you saw the founder of the company saying, hey, our jumper is the best thing ever, you'd be like, well, is it? So PR can create that external trust. And that is pretty much what we do. And so for startups, that's huge because not only can it get in, you in front of new customers or new partners or new investors or anyone that might be interested. And so by doing successful PR, you could grow, you could scale, you could diversify, you could hire because people might think, I really like what you're doing. It's got a multitude of areas. And one of the problems that people often struggle with is what is the strategy behind it? I want to get some coverage. Okay, so what? The question that I always start every new business meeting with is what is success for you? And I want to hear why they want PR. And if it's to make more sales, then that's fine. That's completely legitimate. But by saying that in the by saying that is not going to get you press attention. You think about what you're doing and why you launched the company, why you came up with this new idea and why. Yeah, I think so. That's really interesting to say that. I think I can definitely attest to that as well. Um, <clears throat> having been through the, the thing about a startup, and anyone who's listening to this will they'll resonate is that getting in a room is hard because how do people trust you? So if you're doing B2B sales, particularly if you're in a fintech space, for example, where you're trying to get yourself into if you're trying to get yourself into a bank, okay, no one's heard of you. It's really hard. Um, you know, not picking you up. But when we worked with you previously, in my previous company, Contexa, we did so much PR, so much. It was the core spend for me as the as the commercial lead and on my budget because I knew that the external validation of someone else writing about the amazing things that we did meant that when and we were very strategic in the, the press that we went to and. It started small and then we eventually, we were in, you know, obviously I wrote an exceptional piece in City AM. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, I've only mentioned it a million times. Uh, but then we had, uh, but we were in, you know, FT and so forth. But it meant that when we went into the room to meet those people, those senior leaders, they'd heard of us. They had that validation. They were, they, it wasn't me telling them we were great. We had someone of value telling us, telling them we were great and what we did. And that was really important. But a big part of that is that those 
publications didn't write those articles as a favor to you. They wrote those because they thought it was a great story and people would want to consume that information. And I think startups often assume, oh, well, no one wants to hear about us or they're just going to talk to our bigger competitors. No, depends on which media we're talking to, but they want a good story that is relevant to their readers, whether it's in fintech, whether it's in startup, whether it's broad consumer. A journalist would include something in an article or interview because they think it's interesting and there's value. So it shouldn't be seen as a relationship where we're constantly asking for favors, but actually we're giving media the stories that they want to write about, that people buy or subscribe or go to their website for. So we're all part of the same conversation, just at different ends. I totally buy into that. Okay, so I'm a startup. I've just just kicked off, um, hypothetically, like, how do I find that nugget? How do I figure out what's worthwhile that a journalist is going to talk about? Is my first question to you. How do I figure out what that nugget is? Secondly, how do I differentiate between, and I've been burned by this, someone who is good at PR, an agency or whatever, and someone who is shit at PR? How do I differentiate between the two? So the first question to you is, how do I figure out what that nugget of information is, what that story is? Um, that's worth, you know, speaking to a journalist about or worth reaching out to a PR agency to talk about? How do I figure that out? First thing, when you're thinking about whether something is a story is where it's going to go. So if your business doesn't sell in Timbuktu, there is no point trying to get coverage in the Timbuktu Times because it is not relevant to the readers of the Timbuktu Times because you are not targeting Timbuktu. The point is that it has to be relevant to the reader. So think about that first. So, but then think about your nuggets. A very, very simple test is, so what? If you talk about anything with your company, why we launched, why we're unique, finish saying something, an elevator pitch, and finish it with asking yourself, so what? I launched Words and Pixels. So what? Absolutely nothing. I launched Words and Pixels to help startups. So what? Well, we're trying to help the input, the um, ecosystem and give voice to companies that otherwise wouldn't have it because they might not be able to work with other agencies, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, there's a bit of a narrative there. If you can answer the so what, you're onto something. That's a super, super, super simple tip that I use for myself, for any new clients, and also for, for our team. We're coming up with ideas. We're like, well, we want to pitch this idea to a client. We think it's interesting. They hate me and they'll, I'll just say, so what? And if they can't justify it to themselves or to us, then it's not interesting. So as basic as that is, think about why someone else would care. I like that. That's solid. On to the difference between good PR, bad PR. I think if, you, if you've done PR for a while and you understand the basics, there shouldn't really be bad PR, where I think the challenge is, is making sure that the focus is right. And the focus is one of two things. One is that they've got the right experience in your area. So there are some, there were thousands of PR agencies across the UK. For example, there are some amazing agencies, and I've got some friends at them, that are brilliant at fashion PR. I would be useless at fashion PR, absolutely, because I've never done it. I don't know any media. I don't know how it works. I don't know about sending samples, et cetera. On the other side, if any of those 
fashion companies wanted to do some business profile, some of those agencies might not be equipped because they might not have the relationship. So it's the focus. So depending on what you do and who you want to get in front of, you need to have alignment. So we talk about the clients that we work with as our experience and effectively show new clients this, these are sort of things that we're very good at and these are the areas we can help. I think the other area which I've seen a lot of and actually is one of the reasons why I wanted to launch Words and Pixels is there are a lot of huge, huge agencies who charge a massive amount of budget that is just not realistic for startups. And, and those companies are infinitely more successful than we are and they do everything brilliantly. That said, it, it doesn't mean that they are then set up to work with everyone. And actually, if a startup was to work with some of them for a month or two or six and not get the results they want, they could be bankrupt just because they, that's their business model. So the other part I would say is when finding a good PR or bad PR is making sure that they are focused on your sector and your world. We specialize in startups um, and scale-ups anyone from sort of seed to series B, series C, as a broad brushstroke, or someone who's doing something innovative or disruptive with tech. If, if a company outside of that came to us, we would say, honestly, we can't help you, but maybe speak to one of my friends, because that's not our world. And, and we've won a number of clients where they work with an agency who have either over-promised and undelivered, or they have become less important to the agency because they're a small company, they're maybe not paying the same as some of their larger clients, and they don't get the attention they deserve. So they fall by the wayside and they don't get the results. So our focus is working with those companies at that sweet spot where we think we can help them. And if we can't, just being very honest, it's all about managing expectation and communication. Like that's what we do. I've got one that sit again, lots of these, but my stupid little example is everyone works bloody hard and especially people who listen to this starting their own companies and growing right now it's difficult but imagine normal times and you've worked really solid year and you're desperate to go away for two weeks in the sun or skiing or whatever you're on the tarmac at Heathrow you've got your sombrero on you've got a gin and tonic in your hand you're ready to go on holiday you sit there for three hours and you don't move in that three hours everyone on the plane gets annoyed, gets angry, starts shouting, starts fighting, gets so frustrated because they just don't know what's going on. That's where PR often goes wrong. They don't have open dialogue with their clients. Whereas on the other side, in the exact same scenario, if the captain came on the tannoy and said, sorry, guys, we can't leave right now because it's not safe. I will give you an update in 10 minutes. I can't tell you what that's going to be, but I'm going to let you know what's going on. You got an update every 10 minutes for the next three hours and you were still sat on the tarmac, you wouldn't be annoyed because you would be brought into the conversation. You'd have knowledge, you'd understand the process. And I think that the services industry and where it's a client and agency relationship, that communication is essential. So that even if we're not generating a piece of coverage every single day, as we absolutely wouldn't, that they know what is going on and there's a very open and clear dialogue. So I think making sure that you know how you are going to work with someone and your expectations are going to be met. I think that's really good advice. Really good advice. I like that a lot. So you've been a founder for a year now. I ask every founder this question. What's the biggest mistake you've made? Biggest mistake I've made is trying to get 
too involved in everything. And I think that we touched on this before you played, we put record on that when you, when I first launched, it was me and, and we, we hired someone after about a month with one of few clients and we were, we were starting to pick up some traction. And you have to do everything in PR. That means the ideas, the co- generate the coverage, the admin. Then I was also doing the payroll and everything. And now we're up to 10. We're still tiny. But as we're up to 10, there are people that we've hired that are better than me at writing, at coming up with ideas, at creative, at anything. And I think that trying to strike that balance of where I can add the most value but also where I can give the other individuals in the company the opportunity to express their most value, just making sure that those lines aren't blurred. And on occasion, I've absolutely asked a question that I should have known the answer to, but I maybe wasn't around for something because I stretched myself too thin. So trying to get that, which has been very difficult, and by no means have I got it right yet, but we're starting to. And I think that as we continue to grow and develop, that should get a bit easier as we bring in different people to help on different things and, and balance. But also just make sure to set some structure in place. When we first launched, I had a system that worked for me. Now we're 10 people. Does that system work for anyone else? No, because it's a gibberish that I just made up. And we spent a fair bit of time recently putting in place some structure that worked for everyone. And I wasn't even the person who identified that being a problem. It was someone who came in recently and was like, by the way, this is shit. We need to fix this. So getting those things right would probably be the biggest mistakes, but also to PR for a second would probably be one of the best learnings for everyone as well. Because by going through those challenges, we work out where the line is. I spent that. This is really interesting. Okay, two things. First of all, what's your... What's your top tip for founders? What is your, your your one thing that you recommend that all founders should do having been through it yourself or going through it yourself? Ask for help. Not, not okay. a question. Talk to people. Ask. I've reached out to you because I've, I said, Tom, you're, you've done this. I need some help. Can you give me 10 minutes of your time? And you would do it without question. So many people who used to employ me, who I've worked with before, former clients, people in different industries have said, yeah, of course, how can I help? Because people inherently want to help. And if they think that you know, no one's going to be like, oh, you started your own company. Well, you know, fuck you, go and try and do it on your own. No, they want to help. They want to be a part of it. And if they can support and grow. So actually, like, honestly, just ask. And, and I think at the start, I felt maybe a little bit proud to ask. And I thought, well, I've taken this plunge and I should be able to stand on my own two feet. I'm going to do it. And it was so much harder. And then actually, I spoke to someone. I said, oh, we're doing this. And they're like, okay, have you thought about this? And I was like, great. That has changed everything for today. Tuesday is infinitely better already. And just asking people for an introduction, for a bit of advice, for a coffee, just to chat about anything has made a huge difference. And from those things, we've won clients. We've brought in amazing staff. We've uh, had new partnerships so we're now working with uh, some agencies in different countries because we've opened ourselves up people to say oh you don't know the answer to that that's a bit weird but just say look no we don't because we're this part of our journey can you help and no one has been like no i'm not gonna help i'm totally into that i 
100% agree with you. I think it's, and it's something that comes up on the show a lot. Um, <clears throat> I think that the, the best mindset is always to start from a position of thinking you're probably wrong. Um, and then that way, when you speak to people, you might learn something. If you go into a conversation or you go think, yeah, I think I'm right about this. Let me go and get this validated. It's awful because no one's going to tell you anything. You should always go in there thinking, well, actually, I'm probably wrong. Uh, it'd be great if I am, right? Um, and just... I think it's that beginner mindset. That's the great thing about, the, I think the best founders, the ones that speak to on the show or the ones that pitch me for investment or whatever, are always the ones that are just like super humble in their knowledge about what they know. Like we all know that we're good at one thing or something. That's why we're here. That's how we got there. You know, I'm, I think it's that self-awareness journey about what you are skilled at. But there's so many things to running a business. It's not just about whether you're good at pitching or if you're you know, good at you know, finances or coding or whatever. There's so many elements to it that you need to support with. Now, look, so I've been asking founders recently and investors and so forth. I've been saying, like, what's your life hack? If you had one life hack or one health hack or mental health hack or whatever, what's, what's, your, what's your hack? Mine's probably going to be pretty useless, if I'm being honest. I suppose broader, it would be find your crutch what is the thing that you rely on more than anything and for me it's exercise if if i if i go two three days without doing something i feel like crap and so i go for a run or i go on the bike or i do something that is going to clear my head i genuinely feel like foggy or muggy if I don't do something for a few days and I could be really tired or feel I had a really stressful day and haven't eaten or whatever and Jenna my wife will say go for a run like 20 minutes just go and I'm like I'm tired I don't want to just go for a run and every single time without fail I'll come back and she'll say do you feel better and I'll say well you know I do uh, because I always do and so I found that that's my crutch. So whether that's getting up stupidly early to try and fit it in the day or do it the night or honestly try and find a balance right now between doing that, which I feel is essential for me, but also I know is inherently selfish, as well as trying to sleep, as well as trying to help a new wife and mother out with a 11 week old baby and spending time with the baby and all of those things just trying to fit everything in my day. But I know that I'm better at what I do and better as a person when I can fit that in. So I've taken a few steps to help. So I bought um, an air bike, which for anyone who wants to absolutely hate them, who actually hates themselves, buy yourself an air bike. And it is the most brutal, horrible, disgusting piece of cardio equipment you will ever use in your life. And you can use it for 10 minutes and be dead for about a week. So I've got one of those. It's in the garage, and I know that I can quickly go and have 50. <laughs> infinitely feel better and feel a bit more like me. So personally, it's exercise, but it was working out what my crutch was and how important that is to what I do. I think it's amazing. I totally buy into that. It's really good. Nick, it's been great. Thanks so much for the help you've given. I think your, your tips on how to you know, find the story, um, your story itself about going from you know, a successful business to creating your own rather than something that you were unhappy, you were something that you were happy, you just wanted to do more. It's a great story and one that I think will resonate. So thanks so much for coming to the show. Uh, how can people find you? So, well, thanks for having me on. So we're Words and Pixels 
.co.co because .com was going to be about £10,000 and .co was about £19.99. So we did that. Words and Pixels.co. And are you on Twitter? We are Words and Pixels. There you go. That's where the party's at. All right. You've been great. Thanks so much, Nick. I much appreciate it. Thanks, Tom.